the difference we are going to make. The difference we are going to make. So, so will you pray with me before we begin? God, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We're out of order. I know, I hadn't read scripture yet. It's because we're gonna start with scripture and we're gonna stay with scripture for a little while this morning. We're not gonna go to scripture and then come back. We're gonna stick with it for a little while today. So we're gonna go to Genesis chapter 15, verses six through 18. You can follow along the screen. It, I'll, I'm gonna encourage you to pay attention. This story gets a little weird, all right? Abram believed the Lord and he credits to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them into two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age." In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sins of the Amorites have not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had, just right here, check this out. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi to Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. As we close out and we think about the difference we're going to make, we think about all the things we celebrate as a church, you might think, why are we reading this story where weird things are going on? Smoking fire pots are moving, animals are being cut in half, as the Bible says, we turn back to this text, and, and before we really jump in, I do want to give credit where credit is due. I always think the word of God is not proprietary. If any of you ever go lead a devotion and you were to like say word for word what I said on Sunday, that would not hurt my feelings. It would, anything, I, th- I think it's a compliment. Um, however, I don't think, um, as a preacher, it's good. You, know, you read a book or you hear another sermon. I don't think the word of God is owned by anybody, but I do think it's important to give credit. And there's a book that um, talked about this scripture, and it's called What is the Bible?, and it's a really good book, but in this chapter, I, I was thinking, I really want to talk about covenant, the idea of covenant. And I was going through scripture, and I was really reading some of the different covenants, and I think we could do a whole series on all the various covenants that God makes throughout the Bible. Um, but I really wanted to center in on this one, because it offers us some interesting glimpses in what the nature of a covenant is. And in the book, What is the Bible?, Rob Bell explains kind of the bizarre nature of this text, what it, what it offers us from a unique perspective, because um, if you think about it, I mean, this is not our normal Sunday morning reading, right? We normally come in and read about Jesus, or we read about something really inspirational, not about um, the way in which the, the Israelites used to practice sacrifice to God. But all this hinges on the nature of what a covenant is. 
See, we're not all too familiar with covenants because it's a very biblical word, right, covenants. It's not, most days we're not going out and making a whole bunch of covenants with people, right? If anything, we're more familiar with the idea of contracts. Contracts are much more of a 21st century type idea. A contract is a legal binding argument that, or agreement whereby two parties come to terms on a matter and then sign a document verifying their agreement to that thing. That's a contract, right? Two parties agree on something, they sign something, we are in a cr- agreement, we've got a contract. Every time you swipe your credit card and you sign your name, you're essentially making a contract saying, I'm gonna pay for this item you know, at some point, hopefully right away, pay off your credit cards right away. Um, oftentimes when we start a new job, we're given a contract that says I will work this amount of hours for this amount of money. ESPN is talking about multi-million dollar contracts all the time. And if you wanna get under Brianna's skin, you talk to her about how much money professional athletes make. I'm just telling you. When Prince was in a contract dispute, he changed his name to just a symbol. R.I.P. Prince, Purple Rain was my jam. But contracts are very familiar to us. We know, you'd be hard pressed to live today in the 21st century and not know what a contract is. But if you think about it, contracts are only a piece of paper or nowadays an electronic document, on their own, they don't really hold a whole lot of power. In order for a contract to matter, you have to have an ordered society of laws and regulations, and most important, the means by which to enforce these terms, the terms of the contract. Today, if you fail to live up to the terms of your contract, your possession, whatever you bought, could be taken from you. You could be sued. You could be you know, terminated from your job. And there are judges and there are courts to uphold these decisions based on the terms of these agreements. So what do you do if you live in a land where there is no police force, no judges, no really laws of any kind? What do you do if you live in a time and a place where contracts are not enforceable and you want to make a binding agreement with somebody? That is what we're walking into in this Genesis text. In this Genesis account, it's in the ancient Near East, thousands of years ago, in the days long before the Roman government has come in and established modern rules of law and order, people needed means by which they could come to an agreement and that that agreement would be binding. The way they would do this is they would make a covenant with one another. They would take the, their word, their word, just their word alone, and out of that, they would make an agreement of trust. Have you heard the phrase, my word is my bond? It comes from a time before there were enforceable contracts of such. Essentially, you and another person would come to terms on an issue and then you would form a covenant by which your word would be the thing that upholds the agreement and then you would do this ritual. There was always a ritual that established a covenant being made between two people. Um, what they would do is, and this is the little graphic part, and so I just, this is in the Bible though, so I'm just bringing you what the Bible says. In Genesis, what they said is that they would take an animal, they would cut it in half and put it on either side and then the two individuals making the covenant would walk between the halves and say, may our lives be like this animal if we do not uphold this agreement or if, if we break our word. But that was the way you sealed a contract. It's kind of like a handshake, but just way more intense. All right, so as now we know these things, we can look back at this text and perhaps see it to make a little more sense. Still kind of strange. But when we enter the story, we're entering a scene where Abram and God are in a conversation. And Abram was just Abraham's name before God changed it later on in the narrative. Abram and God were having a conversation and, he's, and God says to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how will I know that I will gain possession of it? So now we know that how covenants are formed. We see that they're trying to make an agreement together. God is promising to Abram that he's gonna do something. And Abram wants assurance of this. How do I know that this is a binding agreement that you're making with me? 
That's when the Lord says, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram, each of them three years old, and make sure you bring me a dove and a young pigeon too. Abram brought all these things, and then he, this is the interesting part. He cut them in half and arranged the two halves opposite of each other. This is kind of like, Abram knew what was going on. God did not have to instruct him what to do. He knew what he was supposed to do. Like, it didn't mean say God said, and take them, cut them in half, set them apart. He just brings them and just starts doing those things with, as he thinks he's supposed to. But the thing about the covenant that makes it sealed is that the two people walk through it together, each saying they're gonna uphold their bargain. But that's not what happened in our story, is it? Did you catch that point, that part? All of a sudden, it gets late. Abram is just resting. It gets real dark. And then a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch just kind of like show up. This is the part that's kind of crazy, right? Well, actually, all of it's kind of crazy. And the smoking pot and the blazing torch, they pass through the halves of the animal while Abram just sits and watches it. The biblical authors are trying to make a point here. They're trying to tell us something that God did that was important for the rest of eternity. God made a covenant with Abram and said, I know you probably won't be able to upkeep, to uphold your end of the deal. You won't be able to faithfully live into whatever we come up with because you're human and I know that, but I'm gonna be faithful no matter what. I'm gonna pass through this for both of us. And I'm gonna keep this covenant for all time. God is saying, despite your flaws, despite what you will do, there will be time in which you were enslaved in Egypt and you forget about me even. I will not forget this covenant. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. I will let this be a binding agreement between me and you no matter what. And this shouldn't be too unfamiliar to us as Christians because it happens again later, doesn't it? Remember in the New Testament, God does this again? The night before Jesus gave himself up for us, as we will celebrate in just a few minutes. What did he say whenever he took the wine? He said, this is a new covenant poured out for you and for many, for all people, for all time for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, knowing that we could not uphold our end of the bargain, went to the cross for us and said, I will maintain this covenant and be faithful no matter what. God made a covenant with all of humanity that is unbreakable. And all people, everybody in this room, everybody in this church, everybody in this city, all over this world, now have the grace and love of God, the creator of all things. And nothing can change that. Each one of you is forgiven for your sins, just as I am forgiven for my sins. And there's plenty of them I need to be forgiven for. For all time, God made a covenant with all of us through Jesus. This is a covenant-making God, and that's, the whole Bible is built on the backbone of God making covenants with people throughout different phases and different times of life. And so this morning, as we think about our own lives, we find ourselves believing in a world of covenant, but often living in a world of contract. We tend to see life through a set of agreements and punishment if those terms are not upheld, because this is what most of our society is built on, right? We so often think that we have to make sure that we always are living and following the rules just properly or else bad things will happen. And that bleeds into our faith journey, does it not? 
We're constantly trying to earn God's favor by doing things that we think, you know, would make God happy so that God would give us more things or love us more. Or we try to prove to others how good we are at being Christian by saying, hey, everybody, look how good at the things I'm doing. When our covenants are not based on our own abilities, but on the goodness of God. And I think we fail to remember that. We fail to remember the nature of the covenants in which we have made. All of us in this room, most of us in this room, if you are a member of this church, you have made two covenants to which you have promised to live into. And I don't know if you realize that or not. I hope we didn't pull a fast one on you whenever you joined. I hope we, we gave you, you know, the lowdown of what this means and how it's gonna go um, because you promised something to me and to everybody else and you all also promised something to God. Like we're all in covenant together. Did you, I don't know if you realize that or not, but like you and me, like we're connected not just because we're in the same space of this room, but because we both made covenants to be in each other's lives, to care about one another. When you join the church, um, either by baptism or profession of faith or confirmation, I'm gonna read to you what these are, just in case. Um, as members, oh, I'm gonna start back here, actually. Wrong page, there we go. Um, on, we were asked this, if, if, you're, if you were baptized as a baby, your parents were asked this, and then you were confirming these things in the sixth grade if you were confirmed. If you joined the church later on, um, we've asked you this as your profession of faith. And if you want to join the church, this is how easy it is. These are the questions. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? And then you said, I do. This is whenever you said, I wanna be a Christian, not just when you joined this church, but whenever you gave your life to follow Jesus. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present? I do. This is the best part. It's all good, actually. Sorry, I shouldn't say best. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your savior, as your savior, put your whole trust in his grace? That's what we sang earlier, right? I will put my trust. I won't sing anymore. And promise to serve him as your Lord. And Lord means that like Lord, he's the chief of all things. That God is above everything else. So the word Lord is not just a name of God, it's a title. So above everything else in your life, will you serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to all people of all ages, nations, and races? And we said, I do. I hope you said I do. And then when we joined the church, so that was us professing our faith in Jesus Christ. When we joined the church, we said, um, you were asked, as members of Christ's universal church, so as the church as a whole, will you be loyal to the United Methodist Church and do all in your power to strengthen its ministries? We wanted to know, if, if you wanna be a member here, will you support you know, the United Methodist Church? And then the second question was, will you support this church, specifically, Dauphin Way? As members of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries? Faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And at a later date, we're gonna have a series where we just kind of break down what that means, all five of those things. There's five things that we covenant to this church, to one another that we'll do. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. But those are the promises that we, we made when we joined, whenever we said we wanna be a part of this community. And um, I've said this before, and I don't know how popular this is or not, but like I'm under the impression that we should either do away with church membership entirely, or and the thing I actually do lean towards, is, is that we should remember these promises we've made and uphold them. Uh, because there's been plenty of times in my life where I've treated my membership to my church like at the bottom of my priority list. 
of life. Like I've got other things going on. I've got, I'm playing in a band tonight, I, you know, so I can't go do that. I've got my schoolwork. I've got my work work. I've got my friends I want to hang out with. So however I can support the ministries of the church, I'm not going to do that right now because I've got other things going on. And so like membership vows were kind of optional in a way. It's, it's, it's weird how we do that, right? When we're contracted into things, we're pretty easy to like uphold it because there's consequences, it seems, right? Immediate consequences. If you have a contract to do a job, and you don't do your job, you don't get paid, right? It's pretty obvious how that works. But for some reason or not, our, our covenants and the covenants that, w- that we make, um, when the, the barrage of life options come at us, and there is a barrage, all of us, right? All of us feel that constantly. There are just things going on that we don't expect are gonna be going on when we first make promises. Our lives change I'm just saying, whenever I first made a covenant to the church, I was not anticipating how much time I would want to spend with my six-month-old daughter. I was also not anticipating, when I was thinking about my financial commitment to the church, how much money the, the burp rag company would get. Because my daughter, as wonderful as she is, she decides that she wants to keep down less food than, than I think she should. Um, and so my financial commitment you know, has to be evaluated based on the fact that the burp rag company gets a lot of that money now. But things change, and sometimes it's because circumstances put us in that. We have kids, jobs change, life comes at us, things just happen, and so we have to evaluate what are our priorities in life, what are the things that we are contracted to, and what are the things we are covenanted with. But oftentimes, we have a lot of things that we get to choose. We might not have a ton of disposable time, because we all like to work hard, and we all love our families, and we all love to be able to do the things we want to do, Um, but... Every time we choose to do something with our time, it shows where our heart is, right? Where your treasure is, there so also will be your heart, Jesus says. And our treasure could be our time, our money, lots of different things that we hold precious. And for some reason or another, I don't know why this is, because I bet preachers have preached the same sermon, you know, for hundreds of years, because I myself feel it every year, I feel like, that I let my priorities get all out of whack. When I should be reading scripture, I'm watching Netflix. You know, when I, when I should be serving in the community to go help some people, I'd, I'd rather just sleep in. I, I, I make my priorities based on the decisions I make with my life, just as all of us do. And, and in the realm of options of life now, for some reason, our Christian covenants have kind of lost their value. And I don't know why that is. Uh, it, it, maybe it's that we just live in a life now where we just don't uphold covenant, or maybe it's that we are afraid of, of what that might be to do self-sacrifice and things. We've decided that covenant to this place and, and to God above all else is, is really difficult. And some of us don't even realize we've come into to our sisters and brothers to uphold them by our prayers. I mean, like, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, friends. I don't always pray for you like I should. I have broken covenant with you because I have failed to pray for you as often as I should. And it's a pretty classic pattern, right? We give our lives to Jesus. We get really on fire for Christ or we go to a camp and we reconfess our lives to Christ and then we join another civic group and then our kids have umpteen activities and then our, our parents ask us to go and do this and, and we want, our work wants to go out of town and all of a sudden we wake up and realize that we've renegotiated the terms of our covenant without even meaning to. And here's the thing, Fram, I almost called you family. Family, you're my family. Make sure of friends and family there. This is not a sermon to like make you feel guilty or a sermon to, to get mad. I'm not mad at all because I'm chief amongst those to whom I'm preaching and those who I'm preaching about. I believe we are all human and we all fail and we all sin. 
We all struggle with prioritizing things because there are so many things to prioritize. We all have times when we completely forget about the commitments we've made. And then all of a sudden, people are asking us, hey, are you going to be here for this thing that you committed to do? And you're like, I forgot that I committed to do that. Life just gets crazy. And commitments get overwhelming. That's part of being human. Sometimes the most fundamental truths in life have to be reminded to us. I cannot tell you how many times I've cried remembering that the grace of God is for me. At times when I needed it the most, when I was down, whenever I was upset, whenever I was feeling lost or feeling worthless, and God in some form or some fashion remind me that he loves me. Even that's like the most basic of all Christian beliefs, that God loves you. I have to be reminded of that. And multiple times in my life, I've broke down crying by remembering that. And so this morning, this sermon is not just to make you think like, oh, well, we're just trying to make us recommit our lives to Christ today. Or Woods is trying to make us think about what it means to to give to the church because it's the end of our stewardship series. This is not a sermon about um, trying to guilt you into turning a pledge card, although I hope you'll consider turning a pledge card. We'll talk about that in a second. I bring this word this morning for us, not just you, but for us, so that we can remember. Remember that in spite of our own failings, that God is still faithful no matter what. In those times when we have broken covenant with God, and with each other. God still loves us, and we still love you. When we break covenant, God remains faithful. The same as when he passed through those halves with Abram, the same as when he died on the cross for us, knowing that we would likely fail. God still remained faithful. And God's grace will always be available to us, no matter what is going on no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter what's been going on in our lives, there's nothing, not height, nor depth, nor power, or principalities, no things of this world can separate us from the love of God. And so we come here to remember. We come to this table to remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us and that we are forgiven. And we remember that we are in covenant with God and with one another. I believe this church is on the edge of revival, my friends. I feel it every day. And revival can be an ongoing process and all of a sudden you look back and you see, man, God has been at work just in the, in the soul of this community, in the soul of this church. Every time I go to lunch with one of you, every time we have our small group, every time we do different things, I'm feeling just this energy of, I wanna serve the Lord, I wanna read the Bible, I wanna be plugged into my church and it is just good and I want all of us to catch that fire. And so let us this morning come and remember. Remember the promises we've made, the commitments we decided to be a part of in this covenant. If you are not yet a part of this group, it is a great group to be a part of. We are a family because we love each other. We pray for each other. We hang out with each other. We eat, we eat a lot. We do a lot of eating. If you like eating, this is the group for you. But most importantly, we worship God and we serve others. And we make a promise to do that. And so if you wanna be a part of us, this group, we want you to be with us because we believe this place is awesome. But it is a covenant that you enter into. And so this morning, I encourage you, um, church, those of you who are members, to as a family reflect on the entirety of your covenant throughout the coming week. But today, we do specifically ask for you to remember what your financial covenant might be with us, commitment. Um, pledge cards you might not have ever heard of before, you might not have ever filled one out. This is literally the first year I've ever filled out a pledge card, and I've been a pastor for a while. 
I give to the church, I've always given. Um, but as we plan to do our ministries throughout the year, these things are very helpful to know what we can and can't do, what we can and can't expect. And so after we take communion today, we're gonna do things a, a little bit different. And we're gonna invite you to, to turn in the pledge card that is in your chair. Now, if you need time to think about it, that's totally cool. You can bring it back next week, we're gonna leave the baskets out. And I was talking to my small group on Thursday night about this. And normally the thing is, like when you come get communion, you drop off your pledge card if you want to do that. Um, but you don't have to. To me, it's kind of an act of worship. I like doing that. I like, you know, whenever I got to, you know, see people walk down. I, okay, I like seeing people do that. I thought it was cool. I didn't actually do it. Um, but I encourage you, it, it is. It's an act of worship. You can bring it and you can place it in one of these baskets after you receive communion. But if you need some time to think about it, during communion, after you receive, return to your seat and maybe fill it out or maybe think about it and place it on the baskets on your way out. There are baskets at each door on your way out. Or, as a family, reflect about what this means for you. What does it mean to be in covenant with this church? What does it mean for you as a family to be in covenant financially for your sisters and brothers? And I promise you, through these gifts, you will be making a difference. God, through you, will be making a difference. There's real joy for me in giving. I don't ask you to do something that Brianna and I don't do also. We give $600 a month because we believe that that is what God is calling us to give and we know that every time we do, God is using it to make a difference. I believe, I mean, I just, I, when I give this gift, I think, man, some child at VBS is gonna hear that they're loved because we were able to fund that ministry because of these gifts. When I see you give, I think, man, that person cares about the faith development of my daughter, August, and that matters to me. When we give together, we all get to have a place to come and, and experience worship in a real way. And so I don't ask you out of guilt. I don't ask you out of some false sense of commitment that you don't feel. But I ask out of covenant for you to think about what this means for you and your family. Because we just believe that God is making a difference to this church and we wanna see it continue. We wanna continue seeing God move in mighty ways. And no matter what happens between now and the next time we think about our covenant, God will always be with us. So whether this is a day of you making decisions to, to commit financially or this is a day that you just needed to be here and hear that you are loved, I hope that you know that the Holy Spirit is in this place, that you are always welcome here and that we get to come to this table and remember that God is always faithful. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you remember us even when we forget you. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience to you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.